If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me uh, as we read uh, from a couple different passages of God's Word. Uh, the beginning uh, passages from the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 119, uh, beginning in verse 33 on through 40. And then we're going to flip over to 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. First from Psalms 119, verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the ways of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Preserve my life. And then we're going to turn to the letter, the first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be reading verse uh, 12 and 13. Again, let us hear from God's word. Paul is writing, I have the right to do anything. You say this, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will, will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. And God, we ask that you would just allow us to draw closer to you, that we may hear something new today, and that you would use me and all of us as vessels of your holiness. We ask all these things in the name of our Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, one God, now and forever. Amen. So uh, for those of you who do not know me, I'm Madison Garcia. I'm the pastoral intern here this summer, um, and uh, just as interns are apt to do, uh, we had technical difficulties. So thank you for, for dealing with that. Um, so as Zach mentioned earlier in the service, we are spending this summer working uh, through some of our spiritual disciplines. And a couple weeks ago, if you remember, Jason preached on fasting, and he began the sermon by... Uh, telling you and showing you how good food is, right? So he 
demonstrated uh, how amazing different food places were. He kind of served as a natural evangelist for uh, some of the places. He even took me to one of those places like a couple days later um, to show me, uh, show me the good news, the gospel of the queso at, um, at uh, Lone Star Taco, right? That was it, yeah. Um, and he, he did that because he was trying to argue the fact that he believed that fasting was the most difficult spiritual discipline that we were going to be talking about this um, during this series. And one of the things that he used to argue that was a question that ordinands in the United Methodist Church are asked, uh, dating all the way back to John Wesley before they are uh, ordained. And it's a question that Jason was asked, and it's a question that I will be asked. And it is, uh, I think, one of the most poignant questions um, that were asked, really, is, will you recommend fasting or abstinence, both by precept or example? And so it's one of those questions where you have to really stop and think, whew, okay, that means that I not only get to, like Jason said a couple weeks ago, tell you from up here to fast or abstain from things, but I have to do it as well. Um, so today, we are talking about abstinence. And so I know what you're thinking right now, probably, is that in, um, in all of our businesses, uh, no intern ever from this point on can ever complain about anything that comes in our businesses because at my church, they made the single 20-something-year-old female pastor preach on sex. <laughs> and so because of that, no intern in the history of interns from now on can ever complain about anything. <laughs> and also, since we're talking about abstinence, and we normally associate that with sex, some of you may be sitting here thinking, Whew, I get to sit this one out. Oh, that's a relief. I'm married. I don't got anything to worry about, y'all. I can just kind of cruise and look over at my teenage children, make sure they're hearing. Um, but, like, I'm basically good. Right? But what I want to do this Sunday is approach this topic by not doing so much of uh, teaching how to uh, be abstinent or or saying specifically what we should abstain from, but I want us to talk about why we should abstain from things. Why should we be abstinent? This is something that uh, I and a lot of peers of mine have spent uh, years in our early 20s trying to say, okay, why, why are we abstinent from things? Why are we supposed to abstain from things? Why do this at all? And one of the reasons behind this is, um, is because of, I think, some things that have been attached to the meaning of abstinence. So um, whenever I was a youth going through youth group many, many, many years ago, I uh, was, I think, going through youth group at the tail end, really, I, I hope, the tail end of this big push of something that I, kinda, I think has kind of been called a purity culture. So it's this heavy, heavy emphasis on purity that's focused mainly at females, teenage females, to remain pure, and purity is associated with virginity. And 
it's all, abstinence was all about waiting, waiting for something. And this has faced a lot of uh, criticism uh, from people in my generation as we have kind of found the, the issues with this teaching. And especially since those who taught it are now facing backlashes from what they were taught. Um, if you've seen in a recent kind of Christian news, if that, that's a thing that people read, no, Jason's saying no. Um, you may have heard of a man named Joshua Harris. And he was a man who wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And he was kind of the big uh, streamliner of this purity culture mindset. And he recently came into the news because he got divorced. And so this marriage um, that he expected to be perfect because he waited and she waited and all these things, um, the marriage fell apart, right? And so he's done some interviews kind of uh, standing in this mess that he's in and looking at the things he taught about abstinence and is now in this place of very uh, publicly having to reevaluate things. Um, and so it's been very interesting. So the reason uh, I bring this up is because uh, abstinence has been associated with this kind of waiting for something. And the reason why we were taught, or I was taught at least as a youth, that I should abstain from things, um, primarily sex in this instance, is because of uh, this, this shame that would come if I did those things. And so really not uh, doing it was, A, from a point of shame and guilt that I would be somehow worth less if I did not abstain from something, um, that I would become less pure, right? Um, and then also, it was uh, abstinence was focused on the, the uh, thing of waiting. You were waiting for something to come. And the slogan of the purity culture uh, whenever I was a teenager was true love waits. So whenever I was in junior high, a lot of girls um, would uh, buy, uh, would get rings at like Lifeway or Mardell or uh, whatever uh, those stores were that said true love waits, and they would wear it on their uh, wedding ring finger, and so everyone would know that they were like holier than the rest of us that chose not to do that. And a lot of times, uh, a lot of times your dad bought you that ring, which that's weird, and we won't talk <laughs> about that today. But, um, but it was a thing. So right, so abstinence was all about waiting for something that you would later be fulfilled by. So you desired something. And then if you just waited, you would get that thing. You would be fulfilled by that thing. What I want to do is not teach against abstinence, but I want to crush why we abstain from things here today. So one of the things I realized, um, and having to deconstruct um, being abstinent, but not really buying into the things I was taught of why you should be abstinent, it dawned on me one day that the, the issue with wrapping abstinence around waiting for something that you would get was completely wrong. And it's because I am found and we are found in Jesus Christ when we are baptized. And whenever we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives. And so I began to relook at this slogan this true love waits. And I, I thought about it and I said, I don't have anything to wait for. I have true love here and now, amen, in the person of Jesus Christ. 
who is within me and breathes life into me. And who has redeemed me and redeems me every day, 2,000 years ago, at the beginning of time, and now as I take every breath. So I, I or those girls, had nothing to wait for, per se. We have nothing that we're, there's nothing to wait for, right? We are found in Jesus Christ. We live and swim in the waters of our baptism. And we find freedom in Christ. So why do we abstain from things? Paul helps the Corinthians figure this out in 1 Corinthians 6. So something that I love about the Corinth community is they are very smart. And Paul knows that. So Paul, being a good teacher and a good evangelist, matches them where they are because Paul is really smart too. And so one of the cool things about the Corinthian community is they have all these slogans that they use, kind of like little, um, little proverbs, I guess, that you could think of. And the Corinthian community, all of these slogans are logically thought out. They're rational um, because Corinth is part of this very Greek Hellenized culture. Um, and they're not far from Athens, and so they're very tied into kind of Greek philosophy at this time. And so Paul is trying to teach them the gospel, something that makes no sense to people who are all about reason and all about rationality. And so what he does a lot of these times is he takes these slogans that they have and he takes them and he flips them on their head. Because what he's trying to show them is that you value wisdom. The wisdom of God far exceeds the wisdom of the world. And so, therefore, the sense that we have, the logic in our brains, Jesus Christ on the cross, friends, just flips all of that upside down. And so, one of the slogans that they used um, was, all things are lawful, um, is what my translation says. But it's basically like, I think in ours it was, I have the right to do anything. I can do anything. And the truth is, friends, is that they're right. Right? So, their reasoning is, through Jesus Christ, I'm given freedom, and so, therefore, I can do anything. And maybe you've met people like this. I have met people like this who say, um, oh, I have, uh, I've prayed to God and, it's, uh, and asked him to forgive me and asked Jesus into my heart, and it's one and done, so I can now do anything I want to do because I'm, I'm free to do those things, right? Um, and so that's how the Corinthians were thinking. They were taking this uh, theology that they'd been learning from Paul, that they have freedom in Christ, and then they said, okay, so that means if we're free, we're free. We can do anything we want to do. So all things are lawful. Anything we want to do, all those fun things, all those pleasurable things, they're lawful. I can just do them, right, because I'm free to do so. What Paul does, though, is he takes um, this slogan, acknowledges it, and says, yeah, you're right. But look at what he says. He says, I have the right to do anything, which is true. But he says, not everything is beneficial. And he, you get the feeling of why in the next verse when it says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what he's doing is he is changing 
why the meaning of abstinence for these people. These people were probably taught um, the beginnings of Christianity by those who uh, at that time were still, uh, at this time really Christianity was still a largely a sect of Judaism. So some of that kind of got transferred over whenever uh, Christianity was switching to the Hellenized culture. And so they were taught really to follow the law. And this is a big uh, debate and conversation in the New Testament and Paul's writings of should Christians who are Greek uh, be placed under the law? And the, the final answer is no. Uh, spoiler. And so, and so they're taught, okay, we have to follow these laws. But then the Corinthians being smart, remember, are like, oh, but we are free in Jesus Christ. So therefore, we can do anything. What Paul does is he focuses it on the benefits of doing those things. You can do anything. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. So why, why abstain from things if we are free to do all things, if all things are lawful for us? It's because not all things are beneficial to us. One of the reasons we don't like to talk about abstinence is because we uh, picture it with waiting for something that's going to be super good. We also don't like to talk about abstinence from things like uh, substance abuse because we figure that you have to abstain whenever things become the last resort. Whenever you have just really overdone that thing. What Paul's encouraging the Corinthians to do is to have the mindset of the psalmist in 119 who obeys a God not out of this uh, obligation to serve the law, not out of this shame that will come from doing those things, not because they're not allowed to do those things, but out of pure love for God. And we learn in scripture, friends, that God gives us the gift of law. He gives us these, I would say, suggestions of how to live a holy life. Of saying, if you want to live a life that is focused on me, these, this is the way to do it. This is the most beneficial way for you to live a life focused on me. And it's going to include cutting out those things that you can do but aren't beneficial to you. And so you should do those things not out of a shame or a guilt or an obligation or the belief that you can't do those things, but out of a sheer love for God and out of remembering that God is the primary fulfillment of all our desires. Whenever we say yes to God, think of it like a marriage vow. Whenever we vow to marry someone, we are putting them at a primary place in our life. And we even say so. We even abstain and become abstinent by the act of marriage. If you think of it that way, you say in your vows that you forsake all others. And so in that way, 
by abstaining from others, you are remembering that that person is your primary person in life that you're walking through life with. When you say yes to God, it's the same thing, friend. You're making a vow and remembering that just as Jesus Christ makes you the primary person in his life, you also are called from the waters of your baptism to make God the primary person in your life, primary being in your life. So you are making a vow to forsake all others. So I want us to look at abstinence differently. Not about waiting for something good that is going to come in the future. Or even looking at it as something, as a sign of shame that we could not control ourselves. But thinking of abstinence as an act of love and dedication and focus on God. And an act of declaring to the world that you do not have to wait for your desires to be fulfilled, but that they already are being fulfilled constantly by the God who lives and breathes within us. It is a way to change our focus. And so what this means is, what Paul's trying to get them to do in this letter to the Corinthians, is he's trying to get them into a frame set of looking at everything through the eyes of benefit. Remember that you're living in a constant state of freedom through Jesus Christ. But be thinking, use it kind of as a litmus test. Is this thing beneficial to me? Can I or should I go without it? If something is going to distract me or pull me away from God being the primary fulfillment of everything that I am, maybe I should abstain from that thing. And not forever, maybe not all things have to be abstain from forever. But whenever we get into the practice of abstaining from things, and it could be anything, it could be sweets, it could be online shopping, it could be social media, it could be alcohol, right? It could just be TV. Abstaining from those things, getting into that practice of abstaining is getting into the practice of remembering who is the primary actor in your life, who has authority over your life, and not letting yourself be mastered by anything other than God, who is your Lord, as Paul tells the Corinthians. We can see this through the lens of the vocation that we get in baptism. Whenever we are baptized, we become someone different. So if you look at the baptistry, you'll see that there are two different sets of steps. And the reason because of that is that when someone goes in to get baptized, they walk in one set of steps, and then they walk out on a different set of steps. And that's to signify that they are a different person, that they have put on Christ, right? So in many uh, ancient tradition cultures, uh, people are clothed in white robes after they're baptized to symbolize that they are now clothed in Christ. And so what that means, friends, is that your life just becomes different. 
we can assume and logically figure out like the Corinthians can that whenever we put on Christ, we have to take stuff off in order to put Christ on. And we have to discern what those things are, what those things that aren't beneficial to us are. And make decisions about abstaining from those things to remind us and to keep us mindful of the fact that God is the primary fulfillment of all of our desires right now. It keeps us focused on this. So one of the biggest things I want to get away from is us thinking that the things that we're abstaining from are bad things. So one of the reasons why we should abstain is to focus on God as everything that is good for us, as the most good thing for us right now. And so to remind us of that, we need to take time to abstain from other things that are good that could possibly take that center stage of what is most good in our lives. One thing that really shaped me was while I was in Scotland a couple months ago, I brought a book with me um, by a, a spiritual author named Kathleen Norris. And it was a, it's a good book called Cloister Walk. And uh, it's about Kathleen. It's kind of an autobiography. Um, Kathleen, she's a Protestant married woman. And she goes to live in a Benedictine monastery for a couple months. And so she's writing on kind of her life with these people who are cloistered, right? The kind of epitome of what being a set apart is, right? Um, people who are celibate, people who um, are separated from everyone else, living in just a very different way than us. And one of the things that she does that really struck something with me is she spent a lot of time talking with the nuns about what it means to be celibate, how that's affected their lives. And one thing that they constantly said was A, that being celibate helped them all the more focus on God. Secondly, it freed them up to love more people well because they were not centered on giving all their love to another one other person. They were able to love a lot of people more. And third, and this is the most important thing for me, is that through being abstinent, they were able to see how good sex is. By placing and giving their sexuality to God, by placing that in God's hands, they were able to see over time through this practice of, abs of abstinence and celibacy just how good sex is, potentially more than any married person could because they have trusted God. The fulfilling one of the most earnest and deep desires that we have as humans so the things that we abstain from, we don't abstain from them because they're bad. We abstain from them because they are very, very, very good. Chocolate is very, very, very good. Coffee is very, 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 very good. Alcohol can be very, very good. And sex is very, very good. I have heard. <laughs> so remember, 
that by abstaining from something, you are saying that it's good. But you're doing it out of sheer love for God by placing God as the center focus of your life. And by doing that, you are reminding the world around you and yourself that you don't have to wait for anything good to take place later. You have it right now. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. And I stand here today, and I'll be honest with you, this is hard. It's hard to give up things that we love. It's hard to give up things, especially whenever we just acknowledge that they're very good things. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I couldn't possibly think of giving up something, or I couldn't uh, possibly think about being abstinent, I'm just not holy enough or, or good enough. One of our um, founding fathers of the faith, uh, one of my favorite people, dealt with this issue very personally. So if you've ever heard of St. Augustine, he is probably, um, besides Paul, um, the biggest uh, theologian of our faith. Uh, many of our traditions and teachings come straight from him. And he spent time as a bishop in the early church um, doing many things. Um, and he wrote a lot of stuff that we remember today and hold as doctrine. Um, and one of the things that he wrote uh, that I think I would require almost anybody to read this uh, is a book called Confessions. And a lot of people in their first year of seminary have to read it. Um, and it is basically his autobiography of faith, if you have not read it. It's a pretty easy read, I think. Maybe not. But, um, and so he's kind of going through his process of becoming a Christian. And so the majority of the book is him struggling with not wanting to become a Christian. And it takes almost until, like, the very end of the book until he finally does it. And the reason why is because he doesn't want to abstain from things. One of his most famous lines that I just, just love. And so remember this if you have any feelings about, um, but like I can't be abstinent because I'm not holy enough. Remember that St. Augustine said this, Lord, make me chaste, just not yet. <laughs> right, so the majority of the book is him struggling with this. And it's finally this verse in Romans 13 that's going to come up on the, on the screen that finally convinces him, okay, I just have to do this. Like we talked earlier with baptism, he held off being baptized for so long because he did not want to own the fact that he was going to have to give up all the fun things that he loved. And a lot of the book is him discussing with God man, I really love these things that I get to do. And I know that if I get baptized, right, I have to walk in and then walk out a different person. I have to put on Christ, and that means I have to give up all of these fun things. Why? Because all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. And St. Augustine could see that and knew that. 
to remember that this is, this is hard. But this reminds us to focus on God and to see God as the primary fulfillment of our lives. And as those of us who are Christians following Christ, we should be mindful all the time of what stage we are in in life. And if those stages of life that we're in require us to abstain from something because it's not beneficial for me or you at this time. So for example, just the most blatant example, I am single, I am not married, therefore I, and I think Christian tradition has discerned, it is not beneficial for me to be sexually active at this time. It's as easy as that. Whenever, and it's because my vocation at this moment is a single person. Whenever you're a married person, your vocation is to be faithful to your spouse, which means you must abstain from doing things with others. You can take that and apply that to many different things. serves as a way for us to be mindful of our current vocation that God has put us in and to see what is beneficial for us at that time and what is not beneficial for us. Is something going to distract me from the realization that God is the primary person in my life? So what I want to challenge you to do this next week is to start being mindful in your practice of abstinence. And the reason I say that is because most of you are abstinent from things, even if you don't realize it. I want you to take some time to think about those things you're abstinent from and think about why you abstain from that thing. So, for example, uh, I abstain from recreational drugs. And the, the reason why is because uh, D.A.R.E. told me to, I think, as a kid. Um, and so, but that's not very, like, spiritual, right? Like, it's just a thing. I think a lot of people have become disenchanted with the idea of purity culture because they realized they were abs- abstaining from something and not realizing why they did it. And then it seemed to not seem reasonable because there was no reason behind it. So I want you to do is, through this week, be thinking of things that, you're, that you are abstaining from right now Think about why you're abstaining from that thing. Just take time to think, why am I doing that? Is it because someone told me? Is it because I had this conviction in my heart that, that, that abstaining from that thing would help me focus on God more? Why did I abstain from something? And then the second part of that is, is there anything that I do need to abstain from? Is there anything that I need to abstain from? there's something that at this moment, at this current vocation in my life as a Christian, that is not beneficial to me. I've taken time over the past couple of months to abstain from Facebook, and it's brought joy to my life. And I don't think I ever want to go back, and I might not. I decided that it was not beneficial for me at that time in my life to be on it. And maybe you're sitting there at that time and have figured out that something is not beneficial to you. Something is either distracting you from God by making you upset or making you frustrated. Or maybe something is distracting you from God because it's so dang good. And maybe you need to abstain from it to remind you of who the ultimate good is. 
Remember the good news that all things are lawful, but allow that to make you mindful that not all things are beneficial. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the freedom that we find in you. We give you thanks for calling us into your mission. And we give you thanks for constantly giving us vocations of where we are, whatever stage of life we're in. So, God, we ask that you would allow us to live fully into whatever vocation that we are in right now. And to be mindful that all things are lawful for you. But help us, God, help us to discern what is not beneficial to us. And give us the courage and the strength to abstain from those things. To remember that you are the ultimate good in our lives. That you do not bring us shame, but you bring us honor and glory. And that we will obey you out of love, out of sheer love. Allow us to lean on your law and where you would call us to be. And help us be children that live in to the love and the grace that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would give us um, the humility to give to you everything that we have and everything that we are. And so, God, as we prepare for our offering, we ask that you would bless the gifts that we pour out today. You would bless them and let them multiply and exceed anything that we could ever imagine for them. God, give us the grace to give everything to you, to remember that you are the primary in our lives. Amen. Amen.